Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's a delight to have in studio with me a privilege and honor, Rabbi Pinchas Alush, Rabbi Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the head rabbi, spiritual leader at, I heard you introduced that way the other day, spiritual <laughs> leader, I like that, at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, House of Prayer. And he is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts, where every week you get five minutes of uh, 5,000 years of wisdom. So, uh, Rabbi Alush, thank you for being here. How's that for an intro? Spiritual, thank you. Yes, putting, what an intro. Doing some I, math here. <laughs> yes, I know I've been introduced that way before. I don't exactly know what it means. Spiritual, Spiritual leader. leader? Maybe you can define. Yeah, I don't know. It seems a little softer than head rabbi, I guess. <laughs> That's right. It was a speech I saw uh, you gave some years ago at ASU Law School. Oh, a long time ago, yes. Was that a long time ago? Yes. I, well, I took notes on it. Oh, you may okay. have to uh, see how your long or short-term memory works, <laughs> because I thought it was related to some of the stuff I wanted to talk to you about. First and foremost, how's your son? What do you know of your son? Well, thank you for asking. Um, we haven't heard from him ever since he called during the show yeah. two weeks ago. I know that he's deep yeah. in Gaza, fighting the good fight. Uh, but more than that, I don't quite know, okay. which might be better. Yeah, good. no news is good news. <laughs> no news is good news, and exactly. A, a, as I'll ask again, uh, if you'll tell the audience his name, we can keep him in our thoughts and prayers. Oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you. So his name is Israel, Y-I-S-R-A-E-L, Israel Alush. Thank you for keeping him you bet. in your prayers. We sometimes get a middle name. That's right. So uh, You're right. Uh, thank you for... For adding that, someone's got to someone's got to keep the memory. <laughs> someone's got <laughs> <laughs> his full name is Israel Mordechai Chaim. We're trying to maintain a standard three here. Names. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so Israel Mordechai Chaim, and when we pray for someone in Jewish tradition, we usually add their mother's name too because that's the source of our creation. Good. So it's Israel Mordechai Chaim, the son of Esther. Great. Thank you so much. You bet. Um, I, I, the reason I actually asked you is I like all of those names. They each stand for something kind of important. Mm-hmm. Israel does, Mordechai does, Chaim meaning life, and of course Esther. Um, though interesting kind of thing in um, this week's uh, portion, biblical portion, uh, the importance of um, a fathers we get a little bit here, uh, or it could be argued we, we, get, we get a little bit here in the discussion of Abraham and Isaac, and it talks about some. It talks about Isaac as Abraham's son, and Abraham as Isaac's father. and 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 it's an interesting question: is why we need that both. And there is something about the importance of fathers. There was also perhaps some question too uh, about the rumor mill of who Isaac's father and mother was. But well, father was. But interesting that we, we we need the reminder of the importance of fathers in that little passage. Right, that's true because there's a repetition in yeah. that opening verse yeah. of this week's portion. And, and there's never a there's never a superfluous rep- repetition. That's right. right, and there has to be a meaning to this uh, superfluous uh, or, or seemingly superfluous uh, repetition, because it does say these were the offsprings of yeah. Abraham. Isaac was the offspring of Abraham, and yeah. then it repeats. Yeah, Isaac was the son of Abraham. Yeah. So why this repetition? There are many answers to it. One simplistic answer is because they actually looked alike. Everyone would say, oh, Abraham, you must be Isaac's father. And everyone, when looking at Isaac and seeing the resemblance, they would say, oh, Isaac, 
your father must be Abraham. So because of that resemblance, there is this repetition. But there are deeper answers to uh, why this repetition. One of them is because uh, Abraham was a man of the world. And as it happens so often, people that are people uh, that are influences in the big world out there overlook and maybe even forget mm. their own. Mm. And yet we are told that as Abraham was changing the world, he never forgot his own child. And he was there for him to the point that his son felt it. And his son said, oh, this man has always been my father. He's always been there for me. And that's it's quite a lesson for our day and age because I know we're all busy with work and with so many other distractions. But how often do we really go inwards and help a son with homework, spend a little quality time over dinner or, or uh, in general with our own children and spouses? Not too often. But here the Torah again is te- teaching us that this is what is most important. If you want to change the world, you can do so, but never forget your own. And that's really the essence of your podcast topic this week, extroversion and introversion, all of it based on this weekly biblical or Torah portion, uh, toldot, which means offspring, I think, or generations maybe, offspring and generations. We're talking roughly Genesis 25 here, and you talk a lot about the importance of extroversion but needing to be tempered by introversion, and you use Abraham as the example of the former and Isaac as the example of the latter, yes? That's correct. Isaac was a man who really never left his homeland, Israel, nor did he speak much. The silence of Isaac in the Bible is deafening. But um, here he comes to present a different model, maybe a polar opposite model to uh, Abraham. Abraham was a man of the world, as mentioned. He was a visionary who traveled a lot, and uh, whose goal was to spread the word of God to everyone that he encountered. Isaac was quite the opposite. He stayed put. He was there digging wells. He wasn't really interacting with people. But uh, both of them are our models because in many ways, life is about finding a healthy balance between being Abraham's on the one hand, but also being Isaac's on the other. Being people of the world, that try and influence as many people as possible as we can. But on the other hand, again, never forgetting who we are, where we come from, and the inside of our homes that also need us so desperately. I loved how you put it in the podcast, Rabbi, uh, this point about – hard to say who what's harder and, and, and easier in certain respects, but in other respects, it's easier to perhaps – go out in the world with a smiley face and go out in the world and be popular while more difficult to be that way at home. Mm -hmm. To seek the appreciation of the others in the house is harder, seemingly, than to seek the appreciation of the outsider. And I think most people understand that intuitively. We put our best face forward outwardly, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we come home, we might be annoyed, we might collapse. We might think of it as the place where we can be. Uh, where we can show our exhaustion and our tiredness, um, perhaps even letting down our temper a little bit. So important to your point being here that we cannot do this. Right, exactly. I mean, it's easy to put up a face, and, and it's also easy to fall into this illusion that the world loves me. Yeah. And uh, when we get home and we hear from our wives, hey, go throw away the garbage, yeah. 
I don't care too much about yeah. your smile right now and your show. Right. Or we hear uh, uh, that our children need a change of diapers. Oh, again, whatever it may be. Then we get shocked and we say, oh, I thought I was so admired and loved and respected. And this, this, all these little activities are, are, are beneath me. Mm-hmm. And here my wife and my children are telling me that, no, mm-hmm. I also have to engage in uh, the lowly levels of life, um, like changing diapers. Mm-hmm. But uh, here we have a very strong reminder that really, really this is what life is all about. Mm-hmm. Life starts within. Life starts and ends even by being role models, not only on the big stages of life, but also on what we may consider the low stages of life. You know, if I may, I recall this this terrible analogy of this child who came to his father and said, how much do you make an hour? His father says to him, oh, leave me alone. Leave me alone. He says, please, I really need to know how much do you make an hour. He's, he's, he gets so upset. He says, well, go, go back, go to your room with such questions. I don't want to interact with you today. And then the father starts to feel bad. So he goes to his child's room and he finds his child crying in his bed. He says, you know, I feel so bad that I just lashed out at you. But why do you need to know how much I make an hour? He says, look, I just need to know it. Please, dad, tell me. His dad says, fine, I make $20 an hour. The son then goes under his pillow and takes out a few crumbled bills. And he counts them and he says, oh, dad, I only have $10 here with me. Can I have at least half an hour of your time? Yeah. And this is a story to remind us that sometimes, you know, those that are most important to us are the most overlooked. And here the Torah reminds us, be an Isaac. Don't forget your home. Focus there because that's where change begins. I want to spend a little more time on that when we come right back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. Uh, You can get the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. He has a new one almost every week. It's only five minutes, but it's uh, thousands of years of wisdom. He and I will be right back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is our guest. He's the uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea, where he likes to uh, say that uh, everyone is welcome, Jewish or not, uh, observant or not. And we're talking about this week's uh, biblical or Torah portion uh, in Genesis about Abraham and Isaac and Esau. And um, this lesson of yours about the importance of maintaining things within the house as well as you maintain them outside, as much as your public face may be one of uh, shiny, happy um, gregariousness, you need to maintain that inside the house as well, and that's the lesson you divine from Isaac, who dug wells, mm-hmm. the quiet, patient, deep digging leads to a well spring, spring of water, more and more life. You know, the Latin... The, in Latin, there's two words for father. There's genitor and there's pater. Mm-hmm. The genitor is the person who just does the act of fatherhood, you know, basically just commits the physical act of creating a child with his, uh, with his spouse. Not quite enough, not quite sufficient. You need the pater, the act of being a father after the pregnation, impregnation, right? This is what we're driving at here, isn't it? That's correct. Very well said. You know, it reminds me also of the Hebrew for father. Yeah. The Hebrew for father is Av. Uh-huh. Av is really a combination of the first two Hebrew letters, mm-hmm. Aleph and Bet, or A and B. Mm-hmm. Why? Because a father is not just the janitor, as you said, is not just the Aleph. Mm-hmm. He must, yes, initiate the creation, but then a father, in order to be a complete father, needs to be a Bet, 
needs to go to the second stage, to that second letter, and then develop that which he helped create. Mm-hmm. Needs to be there for that development, for that nurturing. And that's really what we learn from Isaac. Abraham was the Aleph, was the A. Isaac was the B, mm-hmm. the developer, the, the, the one digging the wells, until eventually that fountain sprung forth. Isaac's an interesting kind of father when you look at the two offspring, though, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jacob and Esau, um, what would you call it, competition. <laughs> I had to put it no higher. Um, and then there's, there's, this, there's, this, there's this odd thing between who Isaac initially favors and who his wife wants to be favored. Uh, do you want to say a word about this? There's so much. There's probably tens of thousands of essays written on this because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't initially make sense that Isaac would prefer the hunter, right? But that's what it says was his first preference, the hunter. Right. And the wife says, let's go with the more gentle. <laughs> with the more gentle, innocent Jacob. Yeah. But you're right. Isaac preferred, or I don't know if he preferred, but it does say that he loved yeah. Asaph. Esau, and he loved him because he was a hunter. That's what it says. And that, yeah. that yeah. is quite an a, a, a enigma yeah. because why would you like someone because he is a hunter? I understand he's your son, so you like him because he's your son. Why does it say that he liked him because yeah. he was a hunter? Yeah. But I think here it speaks to who Isaac was and who we ought to be too by learning from this quality in Isaac. And that is that, as you mentioned, Isaac was a well digger. Any well digger knows that in order to get to the water, you cannot judge an earth by what you see, a piece of earth mm-hmm. by what you see. Mm-hmm. Because there you'll see a lot of dirt. Yeah, you don't you'll know. See, yeah, you don't you'll know what's see deep, a lot of soil. Right? Yeah. But you have to believe that there is something much greater hiding behind yeah. that, that piece of earth. Same here in education. Sometimes we see hunters. But the reason they hunters is because there's a wellspring awaiting to unleash itself yet it doesn't really know how to channel that strength, so they become hunters. And Isaac says, well, I like the hunter, not because he's a hunter. It does say because he's on, but because of the inner strength that a hunter has. If I can just cultivate that strength, I can make out of my son a true giant of mankind. That's what Isaac, the well digger, looked at. He knew that there was tremendous potential in this hunter, in the son that he had, and therefore, he decided to cultivate it as much as he could. I don't know if you've seen some of these news stories of these uh, ranchers from Montana over the last couple of weeks, Montana and Idaho and I think Arkansas, uh, non-Jewish uh, ranchers who just lifted up and went right to Israel after October 7th. Have you seen any of these? It's some of the most beautiful stuff in the world. Wow. I was playing it for the audience earlier in the week. And uh, they they just they just said we're going we're going to help till the land over there because uh, some of the kibbutzim are without because people were killed, but also because a lot of people had to kind of leave home and re up with the military, and um, they wanted to volunteer uh, with the tractors and the tilling of the land, and I can't help but um, but think of. Uh, what you're saying about that kind of person, those kinds of ranchers, those kinds of those kinds of hunters that have this inner strength, they have the inner strength. They're not, as I said, Jews. It's their first time to Israel. They, I'll show you video on the break. It's some of the most heartbreaking thing. 
and the thought I had about it, Rabbi, take us in a slightly different direction, although maybe not, was the common American or the common farmer, the common rancher, and what he knows deep down and morally and intuitively gets the right thing and does it versus what we're seeing in these supposedly enlightened elite places like the college university, which may know as much, or at least amongst the students, may know as much about Israel as these farmers do, but intuitively go to the wrong side. Something odd about that, isn't there? These elite, sophisticated, or perhaps pseudo-sophisticated places that have a a, a, a drag and a tug to these young people who choose the wrong thing, who choose the evil, and these very, very decent men of the land Mm -hmm. who see the same thing and probably know as much about it as these other 18 and 19-year-olds on our famous college campuses and do the right thing. Right. It's an interesting paradox. It's a fascinating paradox. And I, I agree with it completely with this analysis. And I will say that I think any challenge in life, both individual challenges and also collective challenges like the one we're experiencing right now in Israel, is uh, somewhat of a flashlight. It really sheds light on who is on the right side and who is on the wrong side. And these ranchers, God bless them. I'm reminded of the promise that God gave Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. Yeah. Really, God shall bless them with all that they need, them and their families, because they've chosen the right side of history, the good side of history. And unfortunately, we've seen also others with this flashlight that have chosen the wrong side of history, perhaps because it's been quite uh, long now that they've lost any type of common sense. Yeah. Sometimes people, people become so sophisticated that they, their logic yeah. just fades away. Yeah. They could afford to dig a few wells and spend some time. Right? That's There's right. a reason all the biblical heroes, almost all of them, spent were, you know, shepherds, right? That's right. There's something to learn about that. Let me take a break and come back to you with the goings-on in our modern campus. Rabbi Pinchas Salush will be with us when we return. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea Boulevard and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Um, it's a little easier to um, – how do I want to say this, Rabbi? It's a little easier to, to identify you in public as a man of the Jewish faith, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a Jew. By the way, you – as a proud and, Jew. Yes, as a proud Jew is the way you comport yourself and dress and carry yourself. Um, there, are a, um, there are a lot of people who were born Jewish who don't dress or look or comport themselves uh, the way you do, and many of whom uh, have done their best even over the years to um, maybe deny or conceal it. It's been forever true and I don't know who was the first to say it, but it's been forever true that um, no matter the kind of Jewish person you are, whether you were merely born into it or whether you wear it and take on all the obligations and are outwardly uh, Jewish in public, the anti-Semite won't distinguish and will always remind you that you are – will remind those who have been trying to conceal it 
that there is no distinction and that they will be reminded they are Jewish. It's not something, in other words, one can escape. There's been a lot said and written about this over the decades, about what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be a Jew. And in your email that you, in your newsletter, mailed out this morning, you had this very interesting thing I think you got in some teaching from your uh, mentor, that it's not just a religion, or it's not surely a religion, Judaism. It's, it's, it's something much bigger than just religion, isn't it? That's right, yeah, because in Judaism, if you're not religious, you're still Jewish. Yeah. So Judaism cannot be a religion. It's not a race because we have Jews of all sorts of races, you know, Sephardic, Ashkenazic, Yemenite, however we like to call them. It's also not a nationality because if you don't live in Israel, you're also still Jewish. So many have asked, what is Judaism? What does it mean to be a Jew? And the basic answer that my beloved mentor gives is that Judaism is like a family. At the end of the day, we all come really from one genetic family, the house of Jacob, Jacob and his 12 sons that became the 12 tribes. And yes, converts are like adopted children in our family, thus making them an integral part of the Jewish family. But it's interesting because we also have some type of social elements that reflect this, uh, this family that we are. You know, we fight like family, we bicker like family, but we also love each other like family. And in times of crisis like today, we have come together like one big, unbreakable family. And that has given us much strength. There are wanderers. Um, there are, um, I don't know what you would say the right word is. There are people who will call themselves a rabbi or call themselves Jews, Jews and stand with the terrorists. Mm-hmm. And that's a very confusing thing to a lot of people. And further yet, or worse yet, you will see cases of um, people who want to condemn Israel and side with Hamas, uh, bringing in these quote-unquote rabbis, and maybe I shouldn't say quote-unquote, I don't know if that's fair to say or not, because they say, see, look look what he or she, or in some cases he, she said. Yes. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, I mean, I think that every group, social, religious, and so on, has uh, people on uh, you know on the on the verge of 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 that group that that uh, do not reflect the values of the group we have that in uh, Judaism too there are Jews like you said who side with terrorists their behavior is abhorrent to say the least their ideology is distorted to say the least and they certainly do not reflect the values of Judaism quite the opposite they reflect the values of uh, not just terrorists, but maybe the values that um, really are um, symbolic of of their own issues. Yeah, You know, it's interesting. I'm reminded of this verse in the uh, Bible that speaks about how the Jewish people, after the splitting of the Red Sea, came to this place, and they could not drink the waters of that place because they were bitter, mm-hmm. to quote verbatim from bitter the waters, verse of the right. Torah. And the question is... What was bitter? They, the waters, were bitter? Or they, the Uh, Jews, were bitter? uh, uh. And the answer is that, no, the Israelites were bitter. And because they were bitter, the waters tasted Uh bitterly. Uh And that's very often the case with those types of people. They are bitter, and they reflect the bitterness on everyone and anyone. 
Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I'm Seth, joined by Rabbi Pinchas Alush, uh, the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Pinchas, his first name, P-I-N-C-H-A-S. I was um, shown a video of yours, Rabbi, um, from a few years back where you were speaking at um, ASU Law School, and um, I watched it. It was interesting in that um, I seized on something you spoke about. We had a I mean, a lot of this music that we come in and out of the show with, a lot of it is about peace and harmony and love, and musicians tend to like to sing about that kind of thing, that we all get along, and we, and, and yet that's not the world we live in, obviously. Uh, you spoke about the word shalom, um, and um, and it's, it's cognate uh, shlemut, right? That's right. Um, and maybe, maybe there's some lesson here we could all use right about now, on the relationship there and how to how to how to achieve it um i'll just introduce this thought along the way knowing of our imperfections i was watching a music awards ceremony uh you know on tv a big fancy music awards ceremony a few years back where um one of the leaders of a band called the beach boys was lecturing the group he was lecturing the audience said you know we all we all work in the field of harmony. That's what we do as musicians. We sing in harmony. We preach harmony. He says, and you know what? Our 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 um, our profession is rife with breakups of bands and these bitterest of fights, and yet we're singing about peace and love throughout the land and world love and imagine and all this sort of stuff. We can't even do it amongst ourselves. Maybe there's something to that about we and the human condition, but maybe there's something too about understanding shalom, the very famous word for peace, as uh, related to shleimut. Right. Yeah, and that's a good point. But I think that at the root of it is because we misunderstand what true peace means. Yeah. Peace, as you just mentioned in Hebrew, is shalom, but shalom means something else. It also means wholesomeness. Yeah. And that is because in order to truly live in peace with someone, with my spouse, for example, or with a nation altogether, then I have to remain complete. And the other also needs to be complete. And therefore, the goal should not be to have some type of peace in which I compromise myself and my values. And the other has to compromise so that we can find some common grounds as we often hear uh, you know, the definition of peace. Because that won't last. If I feel less of myself in a relationship and my spouse feels less of herself, then why would she want to stay in such a relationship? She wants to be her full self, and so do I. But therefore, peace really is where I can be completely myself and my spouse can be completely herself or my nation could be completely itself and the other nation could be completely itself. And then we can live in harmony. I think that really the goal, therefore, of peace is not unity, because unity implies uni or one, where I have to be in some melting pot so that I can be one with the other. But the goal of peace should be harmony, where I can still be myself and the other can still be himself, and we can harmonize together. That's what true peace means. wonder if there's a little bit of a lesson of that in this week's portion, too. You doing okay on the— Yes, yes, yes. You and I are both, for some reason, we're both (laughs) getting a lot of uh, outside uh, agitators here. I'm only checking, (laughs) just in case it's my son. (laughs) That's all. Um, 
I wonder if there's a lesson here, too, in this week's portion in the way of the relationship between Abimelech and uh, and Isaac. Um, you leave us be, we'll leave you be. Mm-hmm. But we'll each be our own. Yeah? Very good. Very well. Uh, very well said. That's correct. And in a way, that's why that peace lasted. Yeah. Because Abimelech and Isaac. He's the head of the Canaanites or the Philistines. Oh, that's or, right, yeah, yeah. of of Gerar. Right, Gerar. It's right. called Gerar, which, right. by the way, could very well be Gaza. Right. Uh, but they agreed that they will each be their own and that, again, they will live in harmony. Mm-hmm. So you had really a two-state solution, which is a concept for Israel that I don't agree with. But um, they had a two-state solution because every state accepted the wholesomeness of the other. Right. And that's really what peace means. Right. Shalom, peace, means wholesomeness. I think that, again, whatever is true individually is also true collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true on a personal level. Again, if I have to have peace with my spouse, or if I'm seeking for peace, and I see that a lot in ma- the marriage counseling that I do, and uh, by doing so I have to lose some of myself, that peace will never last. Right. It, it, it will just feel very frustrating. Yeah. And same with nations. Yeah, Avimelech and Isaac are saying, you know what? You can be your whole self, and I'll be my whole self, and we'll find a way to harmonize together. That's true peace. Yes. Uh, and, you know, you were talking about a two-state solution a moment ago, and the tensions one or the difficulties one would see in having that now. You saw what 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 having attempting to have it have at it has led to several times when those offers have been made and even as early as as recent ago as 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 trying to leave someone alone on October 6th someone who doesn't want you to be you cannot do it right you cannot you cannot have peace of any kind or two states side by side where one doesn't want you to exist never mind compromising a little but compromising right. your entire being absolutely you can have peace if one of these two uh, things exist, and right. one is if the other party doesn't want you to be, right. or if the other party wants you to be, but not your true self. Yeah, this is the thing that's difficult to communicate to people who uh, are what I call five-minute historians or have summa cum laude's from TikTok. If you, if you, as you have been numerous times, as I have been, if you go to Israel itself, forget about the East and the West, but if you go to Israel itself, you will find the perfect example of that with the Arab population there, which has made, in large part, part and part part and parcel of the fabric of Israel. Those that speak of apartheid have no concept of what they're talking about. There is civil rights. There is political rights. There is. Um, voting in election and political parties of the Arab population that serves in the in the parliament and in the Knesset, even on the Supreme Court. That's the example. Right. Seems uh, to me. Th- that's the perfect example. You know, there are some 2.5 million Arabs living in Israel. People are, don't realize that. They call it an apartheid yeah, state, right. state when, when, when it, ha- it is the most inclusive state. But the way Israel does it, I think, is exemplary because it tells these Arabs that you can be, you can have your own mosques, you can have your own traditions, you can follow your own calendar, which they do. You can even celebrate your own festivals, which they do. We will have signs in your language. And we will even have signs on thank the you, highways. In your language. And you can have your own schools with your own yes. values, right. as long as you follow the rules. 
and you can be. And that's why they themselves will tell you that they feel wholesome. And therefore, they feel like they can live in peace with their Jewish neighbors. Well, may we all see more moments of peace soon. May uh, me on behalf of I and David, on behalf of our audience, wish your son well. Thank you so much. And uh, a peaceful Sabbath. Amen. And thank you. Uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Seth. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Well, portions of the show are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi, and they are good friends, good friends to uh, our community, great corporate citizens, also have a great investment, a secure investment that actually helps people where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. A lot of flexibility, but in your hands, you are in control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees. There is no attack on principal if you ever need your money back. And you get your monthly statement with no surprises. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio. And you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. You can also visit with them. They're here, headquartered locally, right on uh, Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You won't be asked to sign anything, and you won't get a sales pitch. They just like talking about who they are and what they do. I've been there many times. Check them out. If you don't go there in person, investyrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. I'll... um. I'll close the show. How much time do I have left, David? Just about? Good. Um, I'll close the show with that tribute to the farmers and the ranchers and the well diggers from Paul Harvey, as we did earlier, especially keeping in mind what we were saying about these wonderful people who picked up and left their homes in Montana and places like Idaho, kinds of people who have more wisdom and morality in their finger than most of these college students we've been reading about. Paul Harvey said, God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to tame lambs and wean cattle and tend the peak comb pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. Had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the lease, and strain the milk, and replenish the self-feeder, and finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. Somebody who would bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does thank you paul harvey thank you common average american we have a great special guest coming in next tom lewis i don't know why i keep doing it's because i think it's the rabbi and it's the end of the show but it's not we have more to go a lot more stay with us (laughs) 